We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. And would you stand as I read God's word? Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who knows, who names the name of the Lord, depart from iniquity. Let's pray. God, we come prayerfully full as we have partaken together would we would we be satisfied in Christ and now as we come to your word we ask that you would open our eyes and unclog our ears and soften our hearts remove all the calluses and distractions that you would accomplish your purposes here that you would build your church by means of your word And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard, for the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said, heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So God, today, would you speak, God of glory, King of kings, speak to us, Heavenly Father, Speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I titled this message Raise or Ruin What's Really at Stake. Raise or Ruin. What's really at stake? And maybe the question you have, what's at stake in what? Like in life? Well, generally, yeah, maybe. But what is this passage about? The them in verse 14 refers us back to verse 2. Verses 3 through 13 have been basically an unpacking of verse 1. And verse 2 is opened up, if you will, explained in verses 14 through 19. So we've kind of gone through, you know, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ, share in suffering as a good soldier, and there's these metaphors that he deploys, and there's these examples that Paul encourages Timothy to shore up himself under the necessary and coming suffering that he will undergo to, to faithfully proclaim the gospel of Christ in Ephesus. And now he comes to verse 14. He says, remind them. 
And the them here refers back to the faithful men to whom Timothy is to entrust the things that have been given to him by the Apostle Paul. Remember verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That the mandate that Timothy has received from Paul, and arguably that what Paul has received from the Lord Jesus, is to preach the gospel, teach the gospel, teach the word of God. And Paul says to Timothy, you do the same thing. And you you find faithful people, faithful men, who are going to take up this charge and teach others also. What is really at stake in the preaching and teaching of God's Word? What is really at stake in the preaching and teaching of God's Word? One of my favorite preachers, which he, he died the year before I was born, so obviously we, we never met, I'm not in the necromancy. Uh, his name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached in London uh, through a large chunk of the 20th century through World War II. And he faithfully preached the gospel. And what's beautiful is that toward the end of his preaching life, uh, he, they, they started to record his sermons. And initially he didn't want them recorded. He thought that the sermon, he thought that you shouldn't take notes in a sermon. That the sermon was something different than a teaching moment. It was a, you were preaching for an impression. I'm not saying you shouldn't take notes. I'm just saying this is what Lloyd-Jones said. and He's way smarter than me. But, uh, but he preached for decades. And, but what's beautiful is that they've recorded the sermons and you can go find them. There's a Martin Lloyd-Jones Trust. There's actually a podcast if you're a podcast person. If not, there's a website. If you're not a website person, I think they might still have thumb drives. But you can have his sermons, and he will preach. And he's from Wales, and he preached. He's Welsh, and he preached in London, so he has a little bit of an accent. Um, but you better buckle up, because it's like, I mean, an hour and change where he preaches. But he is ruthlessly exegetical, and he's ruthlessly expositional as he opens and unfolds a text. And I remember once he was preaching, he has this mammoth series. Uh, it's, you can buy the books. It's a whole series of his sermons on Romans. And it's literally, it's like, I don't forget how many volumes, eight volumes or something like that. Uh, and he preached Ro- Romans chapter six, verse 17. And it took me I was on my way on vacation. I was heading down to Edisto, and it took me half the way. Edisto is almost like a three-hour drive. It took me half the way. So I got two doses of Martin Lloyd-Jones from here to the beach. But there was once, there's a story of Martin Lloyd-Jones where, you know, he was, he was preaching at Westminster Chapel, not to be confused with Westminster Abbey. And he was preaching, and he was preaching during uh, World War II. And so what was happening in London during World War II, but the... Germans, the Nazis were coming and bombing the city. And so in the middle of a Sunday morning worship service, the alarms started going off in the city, the sirens going off, and there's bombs falling. And there's plaster, sort of plaster falling from the roof. And what does Martin Lloyd-Jones do? 
He does not move. He just keeps preaching. I fear that... Well, I don't, I don't fear it. I know it. That a, a diminished love and concern for the proclamation of the Word of God... It might not be the, the factor, but it is a factor in the current condition of the church in the West. And I don't have time to kind of sociologize, philosophize or cause that with sociology. I'm just, I believe that. Not just because I'm a preacher, but when God's people have a very small diet for the primary means that God has appointed for them to grow up. It is no wonder that they don't. Remind them, remind the faithful men of these things. What are these things? It's what he's just outlined about the necessity of suffering. And he closes that passage in 3 through 13 with this He's quoting an old Christian poem or maybe a hymn or something. And it has part blessing and encouragement. If we've died with him, we will also live with him. Great news. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Great news. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And remember, we talked about how God, that is God being faithful to the word of his promise. That those who acknowledge Christ before men, Christ will acknowledge before the Father. God is faithful. He cannot deny His Word because He cannot deny Himself. And He says, remind them of these things. Remind them that the Gospel of Jesus, the good news of Christ, the person, Lordship of Christ, is the cleaver that will cut through human history. What I mean by that is that either there will be those who repent and call out to Christ for salvation and are welcomed into the presence of God, and there are those who are not. There is no middle place. Either we will endure. We will endure the cultural upheavals. We will endure the scorn, the reproach, the shame, maybe even the physical persecution, and we will reign with Him. Or... We will deny him and he will deny us. And if these faithful men who will take up the charge of preaching the gospel to the next generation and preaching the gospel to other places, if they were going to be faithful, they must be willing to share in suffering as Paul, as Timothy, as others. They must be willing to bear the reproach of Christ Outside the camp, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 13. And charge them before God. That they are doing their ministry. You're doing your your faithful men preaching, teaching ministry before God. That the audience of every sermon, the audience of every Sunday school lesson of every small group lesson, of every discipleship moment, the primary audience is God. That you are dealing with the things of God and trying to deploy it and give it to other people. 
So you must be first concerned with pleasing God. And I say this knowing that many of you, the vast majority of you, are not called to pastoral ministry, preaching ministry. Some of you are called as teachers and you're exercising that gift. Some of you are called as teachers and you're not exercising that gift. Some of you are called to preach this word. And by God's grace, I would long for our church to be a place where we see preachers, planters, revitalizers, whatever, missionaries rise up and sent out. But if you're going to do the ministry, the gospel ministry, be prepared for the scorn and handle God's word as though it is his word. Pastors, preachers, teachers have no license to fiddle. They have no license to manipulate. And so when he says, remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel, not to wrangle about words. What he's talking about isn't the old scholastic debates about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. But that the false teachers in Ephesus were taking the word of God and they were massaging it. It's a gentle way of saying manipulating it in a way that would fit their scheme and fit their teaching to justify what they wanted to say. Don't, ra- don't, don't quarrel about the words. Let the word of God speak. And let God take care of the results. And this quarreling, this, this massaging, this manipulating of the word of God, which, by the way, is... Apparent and everywhere these days. Just go, and I'm not, I'm just saying, if you were to do this, I know none of you will go do this. But if you were to go look for stuff on Facebook or Instagram, Twitter or TikTok, you would find, you would find a gigantic amount an exponential growth. And those who take the Word of God and say, here we are in 21st century Western America, Western civilization, America and Europe, Australia, this is where we are in our cultural moment. The Word of God can't actually say what it says. It must say this thing. So let me go back to it and take it as though it were jello for a jello mold and squeeze it into what our culture is already saying this is quarreling about words but notice the result notice the result remind them and charge them these two imperatives one's a, a, an imperative and the other one's an imper- i mean a, a participle don't but but it carries the force that Timothy is to remind these faithful men and he's to charge them he's command them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers here is the ruin would we ruin the church of Jesus Christ in our age, 
quarrel about words so they can, you make the Bible say what you want it to say. That word literally is catastrophe. Like, it's not even like, that's not where we just get the word from. That's, that's the literal Greek word, catastrophe. With some Greek emphasis and stuff. Would you see the, the catastrophic ruin of Jesus' church? Quarrel about words. Make the Bible say what you want it to say. I can't, I've told you guys these stories. I've, I don't have time to tell the stories of, 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 that this has happened here. In this room. Not lately. It's happened here. It's happened in my study. It's happened out there. Where usually people have an idea, they have an idea about God, they have an idea about human sexuality, they have an idea about the, 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 the human person, they have an idea about marriage, they have an idea about the Trinity, they have an idea about um, uh, women in ministry, they have an idea, I know that one's kind of salty, uh, maybe not, uh, but we, they, they, they craft this idea, and you can fill, fill in the blank, you've done it. Like, God's like this. Life's like this. This is my purpose in life. This is how I find fullness and flourishing and whatever. And I, I craft this idea. The thing that Christians must do is that you take that idea and you bring it to God's word. Not just like your, what you perceive to be the, the inner blowings of God's spirit in your heart. God's spirit will never lead you, teach you, speak to you in a way... That is at discord with God's revealed will in his word. Another way to say that, if the spirit that you claim has spoken to you tells you or instructs you about something that is obviously not what the Bible says, it is not the Holy Spirit who has spoken to you. So you have an idea and you must bring it to the word of God. But the problem is, is that too often we craft this imaginative thing, whatever that, whatever the thing is, whatever, whatever the issue is. And we bring that issue. And then when it meets friction with God's word, what I have found too often, and may it not be for you or me, is that the friction says, well, I must be right. That must be wrong. My idea, my concept about human sexuality, I have all of these, these relationships with people. Surely the Bible can't, be, can't mean it when it says it like that. And so, so in all, we set ourselves as kings and queens, orbiters of the truth of God. And when we set ourselves as those who get to, get to decide true, false, good, evil, Okay, but just know that you're acting just like your first parents, Adam and Eve. Right? Remember, what was the tree? What was the tree? What was the tree that they took from Adam and Eve? Tree of knowledge, good and evil. So not only are they setting themselves against God, but they're saying, we can now decide what's good, what's evil. We can now decide. So we set ourselves over and against God's word as though we were judges of what God said. And that cannot be the posture for those who stand behind the sacred desk, which is the pulpit, 
for those who handle the word of God for the church of God. And it cannot be the posture of God's people. You are not the judge of God's word. I am not the judge of God's word. We must accurately, as next verse, we must accurately handle it. We must, we must know what to do with it. But you don't get to decide, yeah, that's good. No, I don't like that part. You're not reading Moby Dick. It's like Moby Dick's one of my favorite, it's like my favorite novel. I just said, I want to, I want to create the Jacob edition. If you, I don't know, who, who's, read, who's read Moby Dick? Okay, Moby Dick is like a chunk, right? But honestly, you could do without like the, the middle three-fourths, right? The good stuff, maybe some bits and pieces in the middle. But basically, it's the cool stuff at the beginning, and it's the cool stuff at the end. And you pick a couple things, and you can, you can whittle that thing down 150 pages. It's golden, sold, right? I don't need to know about them jumping in the... Anyways, um, I don't get to do that with the Bible. I don't get to do that with the Bible, because to do that with the Bible, it leads, it leads to the ruin of the hearers. It leads to the catastrophe of churches. It leads to the catastrophe of Christians. It leads to the catastrophe of families. It leads to the catastrophe of countries and of neighborhoods. Catastrophe. Do your best. Goodness, mercy. Do your best. Y'all got spoiled last week. All right. I've had a few comments. But like, it was sure nice to get out on time. I was like, don't get used to it. I'll do my best to tidy it up here. We had a lot going on this morning. Do your best. Make every effort to present yourself to God as one approved. Who doesn't want to hear that at the end of the day? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. How would we be approved? A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. How would we be approved in the way that we handle the word of God as preachers, teachers, and even as those who are instructing children in the home? Leading Bible studies and small groups. How would, be the, how would we be approved? How would we be unashamed before God? Cut it straight. That's what the Greek word means. Accurately handling the word of God. Cut it straight. There's a lot of different commentaries all over the place. But I think basically it says, what has God said? You say that. Cut it straight. Do your best to present yourself to God. It sounds oddly familiar of Romans chapter 12. Present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Present yourself to God as one approved, a worker Approved, who has no need to be ashamed. So that those who need to be ashamed are those who are not accurately, rightly handling the word of God. It's those who are, who are rather than cutting a straight row, they're creating a corn maze. To justify what they're saying. To justify their ministries and justify their bank accounts and their planes and whatever other garbage they're into. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So we're getting some more keys about what false teaching does to a church. It leads to ruin, leads to catastrophe. The irreverent babble, just the using of words 
Maybe even coarse jesting in the context of the proclamation of the word. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. There is a fruit. There is a fruit to the true preaching of God's word. And there is a fruit to the false teaching of God's word. It will lead to more and more ungodliness. And then take note of verse 17. There's an important principle that you need to know why there's more false teachers on your social media and on your TV than there are faithful preachers. Their talk will spread like gangrene. It could also mean cancer. That false teaching is like a metastatic cancer that has spread. And in a fallen world, this side of Genesis chapter 3, false teaching spreads more easily than faithful preaching. This is very, very important. False teaching spreads more easily than the right handling of God's word. Because false teaching comes to the fallen person, coaxes them in their rebellion, seals them up in their disobedience, pats them on the back as they tread the way to hell. Whereas faithful preaching must come in and say, this is the standard of God and you have fallen short. But here is the provision. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But to enjoy the benefits of Christ's work, it requires a humiliation and a humbleness that the, unless there has been a breaking, a, a dissolving of the hardened heart, it is unthinkable to the natural person. It will spread like gangrene. This is why y'all got to be so careful about, one, what you look at. And I mean, that, that you could apply that in a million different ways. What I'm referring to right now is what are you listening to? What are the books that you're reading? What are the other, if you, if you listen to other preachers, which is fine. Just know that they're not your pastor. What are you listening to? What are you you supplementing our time here with? Who's getting more of your ear? Is it producing godliness in your life? Are they faithfully handling the word of God? Or are they coaxing you in a posture of rebellion? I'll tell this one story because there's a dangerous... It's a... And I I told it recently, and it's just been on my mind a lot as I've walked with Hebrews on Wednesday nights and 2 Timothy on Sunday mornings. But we had a man in leadership here. And y'all, if you've been here, y'all know, right? Um, Who decided uh, that he was a woman and that he was going to start transitioning. Obviously, that poses, mildly say, that poses some problems. But by the time of our intersection, where these things came to light, came to be, I understood what was happening, and I was trying to, you know, correct, rebuke, reproof, this person had already sought out someone in in our city, in Columbia, who was a pastor, who gave them exactly what they wanted to hear so they could do what they wanted to do. This is, this is what I mean by coaxing you in your disobedience. 
And so false teaching becomes one of the damning tools of the adversary. It's like putting a band-aid on melanoma. You can't see it for a little while until you're gone. So beware. Check what you hear by the word. Check what you hear here by the word. It will spread like gangrene and will rot you out in our community. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Paul had no qualms about calling them out. If I knew who this was in Columbia, I'd call them out because that's abominable. And they've swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened. So there's a particular false teaching that these guys are spreading. The, fault, the resurrection's already happened. You don't really have any hope. We see that kind of thing happening here in Ephesus with, under Timothy's ministry. It's false teaching. It's also interacting with Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's his whole defense about not just the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection of the dead as a principle. And they swerve from the truth. And they're upsetting the faith of some. And so maybe you feel like you're on shifting sand a little bit. What do, who do I listen to? What do I, what do, I do? How do, I, how do I make sure that I don't slip into catastrophe? Who wants catastrophe spiritually? Please don't raise your hand. If you do, we have a, my office is a counseling room. We'll be there momentarily. No, you don't. You want to endure and reign with Jesus. Jesus says, those who endure to the end will be saved. You want to keep running the race and clinging to Christ and walking in the Spirit and living in the power of God and being a a tool useful for the Master. You want to step into glory hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. How will we arrive? Verse 19 brings much needed Comfort. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. The language of God's firm foundation stands, this is probably language about the church of Jesus. Paul picks it up in uh, Ephesians chapter 2:20 they're building upon the the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus being the cornerstone he talks about it in Romans chapter 15 verse 20 that he doesn't want to build upon another's foundation 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is a very vivid instance of the imagery of foundation that there's only one foundation that can be laid to build a church and it's the Lord Jesus there's no other foundation But how you build upon it matters and you will give an account for it. God's firm foundation stands. The Christ, the church of Jesus Christ stands. I only heard one amen. The church of Jesus Christ stands forever. Until we are brought in to the marriage feast of the Lamb. Until we're all brought. When the roll call is called up yonder, I'll be there. And we see every tribe and tongue and nation gathered together, proclaiming, worthy is the Lamb who has been slain. That's our future, dear ones, if we endure by His grace. It stands and endures. And the seal, how? This is so important. 
That was by design. It's so important. No more clapping. Sorry. <laughs> it's so important. How will the, the how will the church of Jesus Christ endure? On what foundation? On what basis? It is it is not us. It's not by our strength. It's not by our capability. It's not by our personalities and giftings and resources and buildings and budgets and monies and programs. That's not how the church endures. The seal verifying that the foundation will endure is that the Lord knows those who are His. The foundation endures because the Lord knows those who are His. As we saw in chapter 2, I mean chapter 1, it says, don't be ashamed. Verse uh, 8 of chapter 1 uh, about the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The Lord knows who are his and he has always known who are his. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And those whom he predestined, he also called, justified, sanctified, right? Y'all, there's a golden chain. There's no loot, there's no one drops out of the chain. The Lord knows who are his. One commentator, George Knight, says, God knows and chooses his people. And they manifest that reality by abstaining from evil. The seal on the side of the church, invisible, is the Lord knows who are His. And because the Lord is sovereign, He is sovereign over salvation, He is sovereign over the church, He is our hope. We will endure because of Him. The church will be gathered because of Him. Every tribe and tongue and nation will be gathered into a new humanity to populate the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem because of Him. It is not because of us. It's by grace alone. The Lord knows those who are His and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. The effects, not the cause of God's work in your life, but the effects of God's work in your life means that we now depart from iniquity. We depart from ungodliness. We depart from false teaching. We depart from the occult and witchcraft and sorcery and new age garbage. I'm going to start using scubula like Paul did. <laughs> Let the hearer understand. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord Depart from iniquity. Both of these quotes in verse 19 are from Numbers chapter 16. So go read Numbers chapter 16 today. It's your homework. It's the Lord's Day, so you you can have Bible homework. And there's the the sons of Korah have rebelled against Moses. And they're saying, who made you boss? This is the Jacob paraphrase. Who made you the boss? Everybody's holy. It's all egalitarian. We can do what we want. We're all on the same level. And... They end up, you know, 
Some of them get burned up in fire, 250 of them. Everybody else gets swallowed by the earth. It's very dramatic. And what does it have to do with false teaching in the church? That you can have full confidence that the church of Jesus Christ, even now, beset with a low value of preaching, a low value of the word of God, surrounded by false teaching wolves, that the church will stand. God knows who are his. And that the sure evidence is that those who belong to God depart from iniquity. There's a moment there in Numbers chapter 16 where God's about to do his thing and swallow up Abiram and Dathan. And Moses goes to him and said, hey, everybody, depart. Leave them or you will suffer their fate. This is probably also a, a reworking, potentially a reworking or at least applies to Joel chapter 2 verse 32. Joel 2 32 is where uh, Paul picked, I mean, Peter picks it up in Acts chapter 2. But everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who names the name of the Lord of the Lord will be saved and will depart from iniquity. So if you have named the name of the Lord, where have you named the name of the Lord? You ought to have at least. Obviously you want to say Jesus Christ is Lord in your heart. Confess him with your lips and be saved. But where you go public naming the name of the Lord is through the waters of baptism. You're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, remember your baptism. You have been named. It was a naming ceremony. You now bear the name of the triune God. Live like it. Live like it. Share the gospel like it. Teach your families like it. Exercise the gifts that the Lord has given you like it, whether those are preaching or teaching or something else. And come back to what God has said in his word and surrender to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your word. And that your word goes out, it will not come back void. I pray, God, that the adversary would be stifled in his attempts right now to Remove the seed of this gospel, the seed of this word from hearts and minds today. And I pray if there are some who are, they've they've been caught up in false teaching maybe, or it's becoming very apparent that they have become judge and jury of truth, not surrendering to you. And that because of that, they are at odds with you and not in right relationship with you. Would your Holy Spirit bring the the sting of conviction that will lead to the grace of repentance and faith that they would know that today they may call upon the name of Christ, turn from their sins, and be saved. I pray for your church, this church. I pray that they would have a deeper longing appetite for Christ and his word. 
I pray, O oh Lord, that there I know there are some men in our midst who are that you are drawing toward a call to a ministry, to a dealing with the word. Lord, I pray that they would heed these words, that they would do their best to present themselves an approved worker, unashamed, by rightly handling the word of truth. Build your church. Raise your church. Jesus, you have promised by the means of your word and your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.